0: Mr.
1: Chief Justice, please the court. It's changing so fast that, you know, a tweak here and a tweak there just really isn't going to capture the reality of of what life is like for this new workforce.
0: This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. If I asked you what you did for a living... I wouldn't be surprised to hear you say you freelance. One in three Americans does some kind of independent work, whether it's in addition to a full-time job or instead of one. Independence has its perks, but not a lot of protections. Reporter Casey Miner takes a look at what the law can and can't do for freelancers. In
2: 2011, Joseph Otis was ready for a new job. He'd been selling insurance for a while, which meant he had to drive a lot around Atlanta, where he lived. And he spent a ton of money on gas. Then a friend told him she'd found a job that let her work from home. The idea was very appealing.
3: If I worked from home, I'd be able to wear what I wanted. My idea was that I'd be able to work when I wanted to work. I'd be able to save money.
2: So he started looking around for companies that would let him do that. And before long, he discovered Arise Virtual Solutions. Imagine having flexibility and time to pursue your passions and balance your life. Imagine being your own boss, scheduling your own hours, and working from home. Arise offers outsourced call center services to big companies like Disney, Carnival Cruises, and AT&T. So when you call about your phone bill, for example, you might be talking to someone working from home through Arise. They work with more than 10,000 people like that around the country. Imagine having the freedom to choose what's best for you and still generate an income. This is Arise. The company promised Otis flexible work hours. They talked about him like he'd be an entrepreneur, building a business by working when and how he wanted. Get started today and feel comfortable knowing Arise is there to help you get more.
3: I really believed how they were a trustworthy company and a report that I saw that they'd be a reliable company.
2: Otis was hired as an independent contractor. He didn't work directly for Arise. In fact, Arise wouldn't even contract with him directly. He had to form a business in order to get paid. So on paper, Otis ran a business called ReadyPlan that provided telephone customer service. And ReadyPlan signed a contract with Arise to provide that service to Arise's clients. Before he could start, though, he had to get a few things. He spent close to $1,500 on equipment Arise required to use their system, things like computer monitors, high-speed internet, and special headsets. Arise also required him to complete company-specific training, and it was intense, four hours a day of online class followed by four more hours of homework, five days a week for two and a half months. Otis paid about $275 for this training, and he didn't get paid for the time. He was living off his savings. Finally, he started working for a client, AT&T, and his phone started ringing.
3: It was pretty discouraging uh, because you you realize that the training didn't prepare you to actually perform on the phone. And uh, it was, I felt kind of like I had been duped.
2: AT&T had a handbook for how customer service providers were supposed to handle their calls, but Otis says a lot of what was in there hadn't been part of the training. He was supposed to learn it on the job. So when a person called, he'd be sitting there at home, leafing frantically through the book, looking for ways to stall.
3: This would be a typical script for me. I apologize for the wait. I appreciate your patience. Thank you so much for for understanding.
2: He says this was even more stressful because Arise had a rule. Calls couldn't last longer than 10 minutes. They also couldn't be shorter than three minutes.
3: Uh, You'd be in danger of of getting terminated because people hung up on you because you didn't know what you are doing.
2: This was a far cry from the glorious work-from-home experience he'd been promised. Otis thinks people were set up to fail. The company would charge them for training, make their work impossible to do, then fire them and hire more people and collect more money for training.
3: I feel that they're hurting individuals, they're hurting the economy, they're taking advantage of thousands of people a month. I I would like to, to, to stop that.
2: So he got in touch with someone he thought could help lawyer Shannon Liss Reardon. To her, what Arise was doing wasn't just shady. It was illegal. It's
4: one of the oldest tricks in the book to try to deny that you are the employer of your workers and and thereby saving a huge amount on labor costs.
2: Under federal law, employees are entitled to things like minimum wage, unemployment, workers' compensation, and Social Security. Independent contractors, on the other hand, don't get any of that, so they're a lot cheaper. It's very common for employers to misclassify the people who work for them. Liz Reardon actually says it's rampant. She's represented cable installers, truck drivers, FedEx delivery men, house cleaners, cab drivers, and strippers. And after she heard Joseph Otis's story, she agreed to represent him, too. Courts decide misclassification cases based on something called the Economic Realities Test. Boiled down, it means that just because you sign something saying you're an independent contractor doesn't mean you actually are one. The test includes questions like, how much control do you have over how you do your work? Do you need extensive training? Or do you come in already knowing how to perform the service the company wants? How possible is it for you to take on other clients or work additional jobs? Courts weigh these factors differently, and no one necessarily outweighs the others. So let's take
4: a look at Arise. They're selling people on this idea that they're going to be their own boss. They're not going to be under the thumb of someone else. They're going to be able to control their own life, their own destiny, because they're going to have their own business. But Liz Reardon says that isn't actually what happened. First of all, she says the business is just a
2: technicality, a way for people to get paid. Joseph Otis wasn't providing call service through any other companies except for Arise. And then there are all those rules.
4: Even though people are working from home, the company has very detailed control over their work. Workers can't choose their own
2: hours. They have to select from hours Arise makes available. And they can only make those choices at very
4: specific times. And the company records their calls. It has supervisors listen in on their calls and grade them. If their grades aren't high enough, they can be fired. They also have to be physically at their phones the whole time they're scheduled,
2: even if no calls are coming in. Otis says even going to the bathroom would put him at risk of termination.
4: How can I possibly be my own business when I'm under this kind of control?
2: Arise declined to comment for this story. In court documents, the company argues that everyone it worked with, including Joseph Otis, was a totally independent business owner and that Arise did not control their work. The cases Shannon List Reardon sees are pretty blatant, obvious situations where employers are trying to get out of obligations and where employees feel they've been wronged. But not everyone who's a contractor feels like they're being exploited. And this is where things get more complicated. Harry Campbell drives for both the car service company Uber and its competitor Lyft, and he runs a blog and a podcast called The Rideshare Guy.
3: Uh, The ride hail guy or the glorified taxi guy just didn't have the same cachet.
2: (laughs) He used to have a day job as an engineer, but when we talked, he'd actually just quit to focus on the rideshare
3: stuff. Today's actually my first day of real full-time self-employment.
2: Campbell's fellow drivers are suing both Uber and Lyft right now. The lawyer in the Uber case is, you guessed it, Shannon Liss Reardon. Campbell's not part of the suit, but he says he gets where his fellow drivers are coming from.
3: So I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. The biggest problem is that basically you're at the mercy of these companies.
2: But Campbell says the work still has its perks, and he worries that making drivers employees would make the work a lot less appealing.
3: I mean, if I wanted to go drive right now, I could turn my app on and I could do one ride and then be done for the day. Or I could go drive 12 hours right now if I wanted. I could take a month off or I can work a month straight. And there aren't many jobs in general that allow you to do that.
1: Yeah, you know, it really wasn't that long ago that a lot of people would see work as, as an on-off switch. That you either had a job or you didn't.
2: Dan Lavoie is director of strategy for the Freelancers Union, an advocacy group for independent workers.
1: It's not an on-off switch, it's a dimmer switch. And you're moving back and forth between, you know, sort of traditional nine-to-five work with freelance work, sometimes doing both at the same time. You know, you might be crafting on Etsy and uh, renting your spare room on Airbnb and designing websites for some friends and singing in a band all at the same time. Um, and, you know, using all those different streams of income to make the life that you really want.
2: Lavoie says around 14 million people work this way. And so far, labor law isn't keeping up.
1: It's changing so fast that, you know, a tweak here and a tweak there just really isn't going to capture the reality of, of what life is like for this new workforce.
2: Remember, being a freelancer means the companies you work for don't owe you anything. You're not paid for travel, for investments in equipment, for the time you lose when you get sick. It can make for a very low hourly rate. And if you lose the gig, there's no safety net.
1: It seems to cry out for the law either to create a new category, which would give these people some protections, particularly the protections of minimum wage and and overtime, Um, and some protections under labor law. This is Wilma Liebman. She was a member of the National Labor Relations Board for nearly
2: 15 years, and its chair for two and a half. She saw a lot of clear-cut misclassification cases where companies claimed workers were independent while controlling everything they did.
1: But she also saw these cases that didn't quite fit the mold. Maybe the rigidity of these classifications is becoming more obvious to some people, so people are talking about a third category.
2: A third category, something between employee and independent contractor that would acknowledge situations like Harry Campbell's, for example, and build in protections for people like him. One term for this could be dependent contractor. Liebman suggested that in a case she heard where independent newspaper carriers worked primarily for one company. She says there are similar categories in some European countries. Germany has something called an employee-like person.
1: I think particularly with the concern about inequality, there's going to be a growing attention to how are all these people going to make a sustainable living.
2: Joseph Otis had his
1: arbitration hearing in
2: March. When I checked in with Liz Reardon, she said she felt good about how things had gone. Plus, she'd already won a separate case against Arise and gotten her client more than $11,000. She'll get a ruling in Otis's case later this spring. Now, in most situations like this, she'd file a class action lawsuit and try to get a lot of people in Otis's situation to sign on. She can't do that, though, because Arise has its contractors sign an arbitration clause, which means any disputes have to be settled out of court. So she's bringing the cases one by one. She's got 50 lined up for this year. She also says the National Labor Relations Board has been in touch. Arise is on their radar now, too. Meanwhile, the idea that we might need to think more broadly about employment is starting to make its way into the courts. The judge hearing the Lyft driver lawsuit recently decided that the case should go to trial. In deciding whether drivers are employees or contractors, he said the jury will, quote, be handed a square peg and asked to choose between two round holes. For Life of the Law, I'm Casey Miner.
0: This episode of Life of the Law was reported by Casey Miner and edited by Ann Hepperman. Michael May is our managing editor. Caitlin Press designed the sound and produced the story with music by Todd McDonald, Matthew Darr, and Kyle Kaplan. Special thanks to Ajay Marotra, our advisory panel scholar, for his insight and production support. Life of the Law is a nonprofit project of the Tide Center, and we're part of the Infinite Guest Network of Podcasts From American Public Media. If you haven't heard secret skin or a tiny sense of accomplishment, go to infiniteguests.org and hit a play button. You can also find Life of the Law on PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and on our website, lifeofthelaw.org. We're funded by the Open Society Foundations, the Law and Society Association, the Proteus Fund, and by you. If you're new to Life of the Law or you're a regular subscribe to our podcast. It just takes a minute. And you can join us in a conversation. Visit our website and make a comment about this episode or one of our other episodes. Be sure to share your ideas for an upcoming story. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening.